Intimacy is the capacity to be rather weird with someone and finding that that's okay with them. My name is Andrea and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Ahoy, my dear shit shows. For any new listeners, my name is Andrea, and if you are wondering if you're an adult child, I want you to go into the show notes. You're going to see a link titled The Laundry List. So these are the 14 common characteristics of an adult child. Now, if you say yes to, let's say, three or more, I think it's a high probability that you're an adult child, but don't worry. There's some good company here. We might be nuts, but uh, we be fun. So today we are diving deep with returning guest, Paul Gilmartin. Paul is a comedian. He is the host of the podcast Mental Illness Happy Hour, which I'm sure a ton of y'all listen to. It's the shit. So we're talking about intimacy. We're talking about intimacy disorders. What the hell is that, folks? I'm going to read you this definition from um, the Meadows. So the Meadows is a treatment center. They're essentially the guru on all this shit. It's where Pia Melody worked or works at. I don't know if she's still there. Uh, But they define an intimacy... Here I go again. (laughs) Um, Intimacy disorders as... The fear of emotional or physical closeness or connection with another person. This comes in many flavors. Uh, Sex addiction, obviously. Porn addiction. Sexual anorexia, where you like avoid it altogether. Um, And and love addiction. So I actually, I thought this was really interesting, the way that they uh, defined love addiction. Uh, Love addiction is another attachment condition in which individuals feel... They cannot function unless they are in a relationship. I've always considered myself to have suffered from love addiction, and maybe I do, but for me, it was the opposite. Like, <laughs> like I became non-functioning when I was in a relationship. <laughs> um, and so what causes intimacy disorder? So I would say, generally speaking, and for the purposes of, of our audience, it's childhood trauma and developing either the fear of abandonment or the fear of engulfment during childhood. In another article I was reading, I thought this was really interesting too. It says intimacy disorders are the inability to be vulnerable or authentic in our relationships with other people. And I was thinking about that from like my perspective for myself. I never considered myself to be inauthentic in a relationship. I don't know. I felt like I was showing up as myself, but in all actuality, I was not being authentic, right? I was my false self. I was behaving in ways like solely rooted in the the fear of abandonment. So yeah, maybe my personality is, is showing up, but I'm not behaving and acting in ways that are authentic. I'm hijacked by the relationship. So let's get the damn show on the road, folks. But first, I want to give a shout out to the newest members of The Shit Show. So this is my online community where I host online Zoom support groups, and it is a a safe place for you to to heal, to be with people who get you, who won't judge you. Uh, You will also have some fun and laugh. It's a good time in there, folks. This work is a drag, right? Like this adult child um, recovery work pretty much fucking sucks, right? <laughs> and and this is a, a way that you can make it a little more fun. So thank you, thank you, thank you to these fine ass shit shows. Heather, Leah, Marsha, Jessica, Sarah, Flora, Amy, Justin, Chris, Jill, Maggie, Chloe, Mike, Joshua, Anne, Danielle, Zach, Kristen, Dennis, Eileen, and Deborah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, you fine-ass shit shows. We had some solid dudes uh, read in that in that list. So how about you, the person that's been wanting to join for forever, and I know that there's a shitload of you listening right now who 
that applies to. How about you just go damn the join? See the link in the show notes. The other thing I was thinking too is, is I never talk about, uh, I have merch and it's, it's good shit. We have you know, like recovering shit show stuff. We have like uh, breadcrumb stuff, like no longer accepting mere crumbs. We have inner child stuff. There's some fun stuff in there. Next, give me a follow on the old TikTok, on the old uh, Insta at Adult Child Pod. And last but not least, give me a damn five star rating on Apple, on Spotify. It's a requirement. Thanks. Love you all. All right, everybody, we got a, a fan fave, Mr. Paul Gilmartin from the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. I was uh, so, so happy when you were like, come back on the on the podcast. I was like, oh, I would uh, I would love to. You're a very easy person to uh, to talk to. And I think um, we're, we're kindred spirits in, in many ways. And it's always nice to to talk with someone because it doesn't feel like an interview it feels like there's just know, chatting yeah i just want to tell you how grateful i am for you having me on my pod having me on your podcast like you really it just opened up so many doors for me and so many listeners came through you so That's awesome yours is my most uh downloaded episode in like the last year really yeah Woohoo! all yeah. right baby kiki let's not get up here um that's great. I mean, a lot of fucking people don't know about this adult child shit. It's it's uh, people think it has to be dramatic for us it to affect us, and it it doesn't matter what envelope the message that you only kind of matter or you don't matter or only this part of you matters for it to fuck us up. You know, as we were sharing, I hope you don't mind me repeating oh, what no. we. And what we oh. were talking about oh, before, before we yeah, started before we started recording, which yeah. is um one of the ways that your dad showed love to you was was financially. And financial love is great, but not when that's the only thing. I mean, that man, that's so damaging. And the uh for people whose looks were emphasized as being important as who who they are and their value in the world, that'll that'll fuck people up. Why don't Kiki stop it? What what role did you play as a kid? You were kind of like golden, like here a little bit hero child. Very much, very much so. My my brother was kind of the black sheep because he stood up to my mom as early as I can remember. Uh, so they were always locking horns, and my dad was just really just there physically, but not okay. there just in his head. And so I became spousified by my mom at mm -hmm. seven. She began opening up to me as if I were her therapist about her marriage, how she wanted to leave us, you know, and sobbing. So I, from seven or eight, I took it upon myself to keep her happy. Well, how can that backfire in your growth as a, as a person? And I had compassion for my mom. Her childhood was awful. Mm. She has no tools or didn't have any tools to cope with it. So I don't hold any anger or resentment at her i did when i to kept tolerating her behavior in my life but once i set boundaries and even cut contact with her i i don't feel that anger anymore i feel sadness if anything and some and some guilt but that was the role was mr keep everybody happy what do you know about her childhood uh her dad left uh when she was uh, maybe a couple of years old uh her mom's you know told him to hit the road because he wasn't going to work or was not working enough and then she left her to be raised by friends she went to new york uh, my grandmother went to new york to work and so uh, my mom was raised with relatives where the father was an alcoholic i think the um the son uh, who was around her age i think he might have been creepy uh, a lot of Catholic school getting beat with a rubber hose, um, but definitely deep abandonment issues. And and my mom shows a lot of the signs of borderline personality disorder. Um, it, it doesn't matter if that's the diagnosis or not, but deep, deep, deep uh, abandonment wounds and a lot of narcissism. And so I think that was uh, it's it is. 
a child doesn't know when when the uh, they aren't aware of the damage that's being done when the caregiver places the caregiver's needs in front of the child's um, when the child is children almost feel flattered when they're like oh my mom wants me to you know help her figure out her marriage you know and then there was that's yeah. why like helping my dad search the house for my mom's booze like that was yeah we're buddies it was exciting yeah it was really exciting what has been and i know you have some stuff going on now but when was the last like significant peeling of the onion that you've endured i think post divorce it was so painful even though it was the right decision because we we had grown apart and i had done a lot of damage with my philandering and addictions um but when i left cuz we've been together 28 years when i left it it was it's not that i longed to be in that relationship it's it's that everything was kind of so new and i don't know about you but i'm not crazy about change change terrifies me cuz i assume it's all going to be doom and so i was self medicating myself with you know going online and you know looking for hookups and all the stuff that i know is in my addiction wheelhouse but i kind of fantasized about that when i was married like oh if i could you know get on tinder you know all my feelings would be satisfied and of course it fucking sad. sucks it was sad and there were there were stretches where i wasn't even really eating because i was so obsessively doing this and only I, diet that's ever worked for me yes looking for the looking for love diet the breakup diet it's amazing how your appetite vanishes when that part of your brain that drug is just bathing your your brain you know or the this just the stomach dropping abandonment of uh being alone and having to to face yourself so i had to really discover who i was living by myself i'd never lived alone ever um and i think it was good that i did live alone for uh, well, I still live alone since the divorce in 2016. I got into a relationship in 2018, but it was good, I think, for me to spend some time alone to begin to face that without medicating with Tinder and, and all that other stuff. And none of my fears came true about getting divorced. I was afraid I wouldn't be able to support myself. My friends would hate me. My ex would hate me. I would regret the decision and realize I'd fucked up and made the wrong decision. And none of those things came true. My ex and I are very cordial uh, with each other. Our dogs play together occasionally. I know she cares about me and she knows that I care about her. It's just we had, we had, we had grown apart. So that was probably the most difficult thing, I think, in like the last the last seven years, you know, up until this kind of recent thing that you and I talked about before we started recording, kind of driving off a financial cliff, uh, not of my doing uh, per se, it, it kind of based on me making an ethical decision to no longer um, continue an income stream that didn't feel right ethically uh, with me and so I'm just kind of free falling going, okay, universe, I'm doing the right thing ethically. Are you going to catch me or am I going to fucking wily coyote it at the bottom of the canyon? Throw me a fucking bone. That's how I, I'll be like, hello, God, I'm doing a lot of good here on this planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, and the health stuff uh, is in there too. You know, I had kind of a shoulder surgery in january and it hasn't healed right part of it from my doing waiting too long to get into physical therapy so i've got frozen frozen shoulder syndrome and it's not back to its it's you know normal thing and over the last two years i've started to have tremors in my left hand and you know i can go down that rabbit hole of this is the end this is the beginning of the end but i look at the things that can't be taken away from me the love of friends the love I give to friends, nature. There are things that, uh, my support groups, there are things that fill me 
um, the love of my girlfriend, my love for her. There are many, many things that um, I have that can never be taken away. My my dignity, you know, we I like the phrase, I'm sure I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but, you know, n- nobody can you have to give your dignity away. I mean, people can embarrass you, humiliate you, but the way that you react can kind of determine. I mean, look at Nelson Mandela. He never gave his dignity away. They tried to to take it and he he never he never gave it away. So you've been in re- your relationship now for 5 years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we don't live together. And on our second date, I said, "I don't think I ever want to get married again or live with somebody." And I wanted to be transparent about that up front. Um and she was okay with that. And I I sometimes question myself and say, well, you're not really in a relationship then. You're you're still kind of uh, afraid of intimacy, of commitment. And my therapists don't don't think that the couple of therapists I've had in that in that time don't, you know, don't agree with that. They know many people that have intimate working relationships. Sometimes they don't even live in the same city. They see each other every other weekend. And I like to think it's the quality of the time that you spend. And when we are together, we are together. We are present. We're affectionate. We communicate. And we feel like a team. And that, to me, is feels amazing. What it was your attachment great. style? Were you avoidant? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely an avoidant. And I think that's why One Night Stands were so... I was so drawn to that because I could get the validation of somebody wanting me without having to deal with their needs. But having done a lot of the intimacy disorder work in support groups and therapy, uh, learning boundaries, I'm not afraid to let somebody in now. In fact, I enjoy it and I learn how to do it appropriately because it used to be my idea of was intimacy is oh nice to meet you here's all my trauma yeah trauma dump my mom please hug me Mm -hmm. and i would sexualize it sometimes too i you know i i I never realized until i heard somebody say in a support group that um they they said that they used their story uh as can't remember the exact phrase, but kind of as a pickup line of I'm this open person. Won't you please come love me? Because if I'm this open, I must be safe. Never even questioning whether that person wants to hear all my fucking bullshit. So now I'm more aware of that. And I'm also not looking to be I'm happy in my relationship. I enjoy monogamy. That was a surprise to me. When it comes to men and intimacy disorders, what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions? Well, a lot of the stereotypes are true, which is that men are looking to conquer. And I think there's that gene in us. But I think there's also a gene that wants intimacy. But men, we don't see a lot of examples growing up of vulnerability. We see Mm. that you solve it with domination with violence, with aggression, and that to not need anybody is to be is to be strong, you know, that crying is weak. And my support groups, uh, especially the the men only support groups, boy, has that been debunked. Um, mm. you know, some guys that were hardcore gang members break down and cry, you know. One of my favorite people in that meeting is a, a guy who um, was a, a bouncer at a Hell's Angels bar, you know, was a Vietnam veteran. And he he's this um, yeah, a little hard on the outside. But when when he shares, he really opens his his heart up and talks about the giving and receiving of love. And um, there's a lot of gentleness. And so that the misconception that men can't be that way mm. uh, is is true. I think some men are incapable or have no interest in being that way. Uh, I would say that was probably none of us had any interest in being that way, but we discovered that if we didn't, we were going to die. We wouldn't be able to cope with our feelings and we would keep drinking and using. And so that's what I discovered is 
many, many people just need to hit a bottom to be teachable, to learn new tools, to to learn that um, vulnerability is strength, is bravery. What did your bot? How did the bottoms differ between your issues with substances versus intimacy? Like I would imagine. Well, I don't know, but my guess would be that the intimacy stuff was a lot more painful. Yeah. Yeah. A lot more painful. Um, I think my bottom with drugs and alcohol, it was not dramatic. It was internal. It was really kind of a, uh, my spirit was dead and it wanted to take my body with me. I was so depressed. I was so angry and I was so lonely. And yes, some of that is also the case with the intimacy disorder, um, but there was a lot more shame with the intimacy stuff because it was often, uh, related to acting out sexually, being unfaithful, things that I just felt so much shame and guilt about. Um, and not that I shouldn't have felt that. I just didn't know that there was help for it until I realized there was help for it. Um, and again, I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm not grateful that I left wreckage. I'm grateful that I hit a bottom where something had to change. And I, and I had to get honest with myself and say, I need help. I am not getting better on my own. And that was the greatest decision I ever made because that's where the incest um, kind of came to, to light. Uh, where I began to give weight uh, to what had happened to me, because I don't think I could have ever really fully moved on the path that I'm on today if I hadn't given that weight and kind of gone through the pain of realizing I was an object mm. as, as a child and that it was a form of incest and... um you know, when you're inserting, even if it's a thermometer, when you're inserting something into your child at eight years old, um, unnecessarily, uh, that, you know, that you could call that a form of rape. You're, if you're doing that for your benefit and not the child and the child is saying, why are we doing this? Um, you know, I explained that away. For years and years and years, no moms don't do that. My, she's my mom. She wouldn't. She wouldn't do that. But you know, kids have that spidey sense when something's up. And there was a pattern of a whole lot of other stuff that I finally started giving way to. And much of it was non-sexual. And that well, that's was what I was just gonna say is to like dive into that more because I think that there's there probably are a lot of people listening right now who don't realize that what they experienced was emotional incest yeah yeah you don't your genitals don't have to be touched for it to be incest uh something that is really really common um i would say common as opposed to how, how many people think that it exists is um and my mom did not do this but moms who walk around naked even though mm -hmm. their kids say that makes me uncomfortable um the the kind of the classic one is the mom walks around naked the kids are like mom gross put some clothes on and the mom will kind of act like they're the ones with the issue uh the mom will call them into the bathroom while the mom's on the toilet or the mom will demand to come into the bathroom while the child's in the bath or the shower or demand to see the child's body because she's, you know, quote unquote, you know, wants to make sure they're developing correctly. Um, all just super fucked up, narcissistic and ob objectifying. And those do as much damage as a parent actually touching the child. And many people who experienced, you know, the, the, the former will say, I wish they had touched my genitals. So I then could would know. Yeah, so I could point to something, but when it's under the radar, which is what a lot of of perpetrators will do, probably to lie to themselves. I thought, oh, this isn't inappropriate. I'm not touching their genitals. But when you're telling them, you know, why are you making a big deal about wanting to cover up when you're naked in front of me? It 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 
it leaves a lasting effect. You feel like your body is not your own. And you think that that that, that is the most important thing to the to other people, you know, my nakedness or my body or or I I can't, you know, I don't have needs. Who am I to say, you know, I don't want to have sex tonight because I'm not in the mood. You're so used to giving other people what they want that you don't take care of your own needs. And that's really at the heart of intimacy disorder is a um, not getting in touch with our needs and not learning the skills to express them. And in my relationship with my girlfriend, I express my needs. I do it in a diplomatic way and she hears me and she takes that in and that strengthens our relationship. You know, when somebody says something to you in a tone of voice that kind of hurts your feelings, it is a great opportunity to strengthen your relationship. Because if you say, you know, that thing you said yesterday, it 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 hurt my feelings because it it I I don't know, I felt like I felt stupid. And whether or not that was your intent, I just wanted to let you know how I feel. That gives that person an opportunity to show their character by taking it in or saying, why are you always such a baby? Well, that's some information that will let you know about whether or not you want to stay in that relationship long term. So all of these things, all of these seeming landmines can be touchstones for growth if you're willing to have that difficult conversation and stand up for your needs. But I didn't even know what I liked when I started going to those support groups. I had no idea that my perfectionism and my fear of being overwhelmed by other people was at the heart of it, that that's why I was acting out. It had nothing to do with sex. Sex was just the vehicle to try to soothe myself. So now I have other vehicles to try to soothe myself. Talking to people who I know love me, going on podcasts where it's a it's a kindred spirit, doing my podcast, playing hockey, playing guitar, um, taking a nap when I'm tired, not shaming myself for my mistakes. Mm. Those are all the ways that that uh, that's the gym for my soul on a daily or weekly basis. Have you had any painful friendship breakups like? Oh in the past several years because yeah. one thing me and my friend and i love you would really connect with her a lot too her name is tiffany carter but we were talking about this about what's really hurtful to me is when somebody isn't willing or able to have that difficult conversation yep right of like i don't know you hurt my feelings or um or this or that and instead they abandon ship and I honestly don't want a friend in my life like that anyways, but. But it still hurts. It's fucking it still hurts. Yeah. I had a friend who just disappeared and he was probably my best friend in my support groups. He was there for me when I went through my divorce. Lots of great memories with him. And um, he. Living in Los Angeles and having. Uh, kind of political views that are very not typical liberal Los Angeles. He uh, was like, I'm going to just cut all these people out of my life without telling them why. And he did. And I didn't know what I, I would leave in messages saying, I don't know if you relapsed or if you're mad at me, if I did something, but I love you. And I want to know what's going on with you. And I probably left six of those messages and that would get kind of a generic, generic text back. And he finally reached out to me about uh, four months ago and said it was political. That's why I had to take a break from from everybody. And I said, buddy, I, I, I love you. We, we just won't talk about politics. Um, and I and I do love him um, and I accept that that is a part of him that I cannot wrap my head around and I don't need to. I don't need, I love the parts of him that are uh, healthy for me to, to interact with. And if the other, neither of us try to shove our views on the other person. And I would say our, our relationship has not gotten back to the closeness it was originally, 
there's still a little bit of, I don't know, awkwardness. What about your intimacy when it comes to men and male friendships? What has your journey been with that? I have always felt pretty safe opening up to men. It's only gotten deeper um, because I used to bond over, oh, yeah, I had a one night stand and this and it was very braggarty kind of it just kind of braggarty and 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 gross as i look back at it now but it was the only sense you know when you're raised and you're you feel like my sexuality is the most important thing to me and yet the thing i'm also most insecure about um of course that becomes the the thing is oh i you know had sex with a beautiful woman after a a comedy show, well, of course, I got to tell my friends about that because I want to impress them. Then they'll love me more. I mean, just really, really warped thinking. But when I started getting into my support groups, especially the the one I go to uh, where it's, it's men only, um, I began to bond around different things. I began to bond around not the braggarty things, but the looking bad things. Mm-hmm. You know, the night that I tried to pick up a woman. This was before I was sober. Tried to pick up a woman. And she looked at my ring and said, you're married. And the shame mm. of a complete stranger in that moment cared more about my wife than I did. And yet I was so lonely. The only thing that I could respond with was, please don't leave. I'm so lonely. When you share that with a room of 40 men mm. and they come up and they hug you afterwards. And maybe they share their lowest moment or they thank you for your honesty and your vulnerability, man, that, that lays the foundation for deep, deep, deep friendships. Um, and I feel them, I feel them in my soul and they save my life on a daily, weekly basis because I feel a sense of belonging that I never imagined. I thought the belonging was going to come from being impressive. And then people saying, I want to have you over at my house because you're rich and famous. You know, that didn't work out too well. For one, I never got rich and famous. <laughs> but it, it the pursuit of trying to be exceptional can be uh, really isolating because you're constantly comparing yourself to other people. Where am I better or where am I worse? Instead of saying, where are we common? Mm. That's where it's at. What do I share with you? That's why I I also think so much of social media is so corrosive to our self-esteems because we look at it as a competition. It's such an unvulnerable way to try to connect. It's it's the opposite. It kind of uh, takes us away from um, our authenticity even more than being unfair to other people is just a bad choice for ourselves. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> it's, it's a bad what choice. For what you get. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why talking about these things, uh, especially in a public kind of connective way where you invite other people, you know, come listen. Um, how are you doing? You know, you, you want to come on my podcast and share about this thing. Um, I don't know. I, I find that, so much more helpful at me moving in the direction of feeling comfortable in my own skin. I don't know if I'm ever totally comfortable in my in my own skin, but boy, is it better than it was 20 years ago. So I want to get your opinion on this. So, you know, for me, I got sober, right? And then nine years is kind of when I hit my adult child bottom. I always knew that alcohol was just a symptom. I now view my alcoholism as just a symptom of my underlying trauma. I'm curious on your perspective. So do you consider yourself a love addict or a sex addict? Um, yeah, I, while I am not crazy about that term, I, I gotta be honest because I used sex and used people to try to fill something inside me that could never be filled by that. Do you view that as trauma-based, though? Um, yeah, I do. I do. I haven't met really anybody in my support groups where people have sex addiction or love addiction or you know fear of intimacy. I, I, I've yet to meet somebody 
who had their needs met as a child. They're, you know, the right size, healthy needs. Um, I mean, we all, all parents are going to come up short on something with their kid, but I'm talking like baseline. You feel safe, you feel seen, you feel heard. And for it to be relatively consistent that you get those things, you know, some kids may get it once a year. Well, that's going to fuck a kid up because they're going to go, what am I doing the other 11 months that this isn't happening? And then you're, you know, you get into that rumination, self-obsessive, crystal ball, trying to imagine what other people are thinking and feeling. And we're never, almost never right about that. So it sends us kind of in this direction of lost in self and, um, and that, and then we need something to soothe ourselves. And for uh, a lot of us, sex was there before drugs or validation. You know, if another, if the girl in the class that I have a crush on likes me, well, now I'm worthy. Now I'm valid. And if she doesn't, I suck. I'm the worst person in the world. I'm ugly. You know, I'm uncool. So, you know, I like to think of them as an intimacy uh, disorder. But yeah, sex was a very loaded, very shame-based transactional thing for me instead of a connective thing. And I would say in the since meeting my girlfriend, it's become a connective, a connective shared thing rather than a, I'm going to get this over with and get in my car because I don't want to snuggle because I don't want that softness it makes my skin crawl it reminds me of of my mom overwhelming me what i discovered is when i began to set boundaries and say to people hey look if you keep being inappropriate with me we're not going to have a relationship um once i began to set that down it was less scary to let an appropriate person in you know i love when my girlfriend is affectionate with me those things used to make me crawl my skin crawl because it just felt like oh they're they're so weak they're so needy um was it like that with your wife in the beginning no because she's a pretty cool cucumber uh in many ways kind of emotionally like a male and i think that's mm. one of the reasons that we got together is we neither of us were clingy and that worked but you can also then kind of why i'll just speak for myself wind up feeling very lonely even though you're afraid to come closer to someone so did you not find yourself like were, were you not often in like the anxious avoidant like dance i was but i was never trying to get closer i was always just kind of i think the great analogy is what my dad was like he wanted a room full of people around him leaving him alone that's to me the distance of the avoidant is you you want the potential for closeness should you decide any minute you want to talk to somebody it's like you want to control intimacy and vulnerability well you can't really control it it's a it's a fluid thing that isn't black and white and the very nature of vulnerability is that you're risking it not being met in a way that you want. But what you don't realize before you get in any kind of recovery is that there's a backup plan for that. You can say, hey, that, you know, that's a little too much for me or recognize that you were a little too much for them with oversharing. And then you adjust, you communicate. It's it's not like you got one chance Yes, that's it. <laughs> but yeah, I used to go to a coffee shop before COVID and I would be annoyed when people would come up and talk to me, but I wanted to be out of my house and around people. And it's so kind of selfish and controlling, but that is that's the dance that you talk about that I want a distance that I can control. Um It's interesting that you and like two avoidance can end up make it actually get to the get to the altar yeah well honestly we we did it for we we were happy 
just living together. But then I got a job. I was working at the the WB when it first launched years ago, and I got uh, health insurance. And so I said to her very romantically, you know, if we get married, you can be on my health insurance plan. She went, sure. And so that was the decision for marriage. Um, but I think we, at that point in our lives, I think we were perfect for each other because we both had a similar comfort with how close. Distance. Yeah, with distance. You know, whether it was conscious or not, it was just more of a, but I would say I was probably colder. Um, I could be emotionally withholding. Uh, I was under the impression that it was up to me to let somebody know how to do things, you know, rather than accepting them as they are, unless it, you know, kind of crosses my boundaries or, you know, uh, was something where I needed to speak up. Uh, yeah, it, a lot of adult child shit thinking i'm the world's teacher and if everybody would just listen to me the world would be a better place rather than just letting people be themselves and worry about my own shit so i want to talk about this two-year period before you started to date your current girlfriend so had you started to work on the intimacy stuff prior to your divorce yeah yeah i had been uh in a support group for that for seven years seven years up until then. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that was I, I knew there was a feeling in my belly that this marriage had run its course, but I didn't know if I was making the right decision. And I kind of had a moment of clarity where I said, well, the only thing that I can do, my best shot at making the right decision is say, I'm going to work on myself as hard as I can. I'm going to own my shit. I'm going to do the work that is suggested, be as connective as possible, really give this my best shot at growing into the guy that that I want to be, the husband that I want to be, and start expressing my needs. And one of the needs that that I had was I, as I began to soften and cut my mom out of lo- my my life, I began to crave gentleness, um, affection, Mm. all the stuff that used to make my skin crawl because I had kind of discovered it, um, in the fellowship of, of the support groups and especially with women where I could feel their compassion. I could feel the tenderness in a non-sexual way, in a way like Uh, like a sister that I'd never had. I didn't have sisters growing up. And it was revelatory to me because it felt like something was opening up. Like I'd been in a prison that I'd never realized I was in. And like the door was opening and there was this warm sunshine outside. Well, I wanted to kind of experience that warm sunshine with my wife. You know, know, one of the things I said is sometimes I just want to lay my head in your lap and just have you stroke my head and tell me nice things. And she wasn't into that. And I think part of it was I had done damage to the relationship. I don't know if it's whether or not she didn't have that in her or was something she wanted to do, but I know that she didn't want to do that with me. And so after those years of putting my effort in and expressing things and them not being met, I think we both kind of could see that this, this we'd grown apart. But if I asked my girlfriend for those things today, it's, she's there. She's there. She doesn't try to fix me. Um, not that my ex tried to fix me, but um, it, in, in, in none of this is a um, me saying my ex was a bad partner. No, no. Yeah. I- you were, well, you were drawn together for... And I did a lot of damage. I did a lot of damage. When you talk about your experiences with your mother, you talk about the being uncomfortable with affection. What were the beliefs you feel like you internalized about yourself as a kid? Or was it more so about the world itself? Um, I'm not enough. And so is it from a place of... Because I'm not enough, I don't deserve this affection. 
No, it's more that the affection was like her drinking me in the way she would touch my body and look me in the eyes. It was how you would look at a lover. And it wasn't until I was able in recovery to find the phrase drinking me in with her eyes. Um, because again, you don't have to be touching a child's genitals for them to feel like you want, they want you to be their lover, whether that's the case or not. It's the feeling in you that you prefer me to my dad. And that's a gross feeling. And it, I think that also coupled with the fact that she would pull me in with lavishing praise and very kind of possessive, you know, your mom's little peach, your mom's little rose. And she would squeeze my face and look in my eyes. And then she would say, but you're rotten to the core. And I mean, that's confusing for a, for a kid. Um, oh shit. Yeah. So to have somebody really look in my eyes was, was really kind of terrifying if I was in a committed relationship with them. It caused me anxiety because I felt like, where does this end? What do they want? What do they need? And I'm a bad person if I don't give it to them. You know, being raised Catholic does not help <laughs> with claiming your own needs, especially in regards to a parent. And do you feel like a lot of it, as far as avoidance goes, is it the fear of engulfment Yes. Or is it the fear of eventually you're going to abandon me? No, it's a fear of engulfment. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never been a jealous person. I don't think I've ever been jealous in any relationship I've ever had with a female. But I have almost always had a fear that they are going to suffocate me or drain me. Or there's going to be some aspect of them that is so intolerably annoying um, mm -hmm. that uh, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to bail. So what did unraveling like this look like for the, so for those two years that you lived alone, were you not, was there a period where you didn't date at all? Yeah. Yeah. Probably. I think for the first year, then I was in a brief relationship for about three months, but it was long distance. Um, and then a couple of months later, I uh, started going on the dating apps and uh bumble in particular i tried tinder but tinder was i don't know i just found it kind of not my thing it just felt kind of cold and dark and hookupy. um even though there was a part of me that so craved you know being touched being physical touching um because it had been a long time um since i had experienced that and uh yeah, so I went on about a 10 Bumble dates with different women. And... Yeah, I was going to say, like, did you do like, what do they call it? Sober dating? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coffee. It was always coffee. So, yeah. What did, so like you're, you're putting your toe back in the pond here. First of all, was there, um, did, was there a, was there an ideal or was there a list? They had to, certain criteria in order to, or were, what were the, um, like the were kind of in my head. That what about I, like bottom lines? Um, well, definitely, uh, to, to take it fairly slow, uh, no kissing, uh, for a couple of dates, uh, first couple of dates during the day, then, then maybe dinner. Um, but the first 10 dates were just kind of a one and one and done because I just, uh, I don't know. I just didn't feel anything and it, and it really didn't it have 10 different people. Yeah, it really didn't have much to do with what they looked like physically, which also kind of surprised me. Um, but it was more a couple were like red flag codependents. Um, I remember one in particular that uh, this woman was like, my oldest boy is my best friend. He's my little man. And I just remember my skin crawling like, oh, my God, you are my mom. And uh, it took everything in me to not just go, well, it was nice meeting you. Uh, but I didn't wrap coffee up as, as quickly as possible. Uh, but when I met my, went on the first date with my girlfriend, it was something in her eyes. She was from an app, right? Too? From an app from Bumble. Mm -hmm. And there was just something in her eyes. And um, she's the least pretentious person I've ever met. 
And pretense is something that really gets on my nerves. It can make it really hard for me to connect to somebody. Um, and I've never felt that way with her. She is the same around every person, regardless of how powerful they are. She doesn't have something to say. She doesn't speak. Um, she's comfortable with silence, as am I. So we'll spend a lot of time together where we'll go 45 minutes without saying to each, anything to each other. But we're super affectionate. We must tell each other, you know, we spend the weekends together. We must tell each other 30 times a day, you know, something affectionate, complimentary, loving, um, physical affection. Um, it It's, um, it's just, the foundation is a friendship and it, it's. Um, I think we talked about it when you were on before, but. Talk about how you how how you disclosed yourself like over time. And by the way, I did not stick to my dating plan. I threw it out the window, I think, on the second or third date. And I felt some shame about that. So you well, that's what I was going to ask, too. But it doesn't sound like you ever got to this point. But like because you said I was wondering if like you ever told somebody because I don't know if I went on like a third date and the guy hadn't tried to kiss me, I would maybe be like, like, what the fuck? So I was just curious if you ever had to explain like, hey, I told her I wanted to take to to take it slow. But, you know, on the second or third date. You know, we had it sex, happened. we had sex, but it didn't. What was different about this was I didn't want to run afterwards. I was as interested in the interaction after the sex as I was mm. in the other parts of it. And that was kind of a revelation to me. I remember being in her apartment and we had had sex and we were listening to her playlist and it was just one great song after another. And I just remember being so excited that um, here's, this, here's this person who is fluent in two languages has this amazing taste in music, is not pretentious, um, who's a good listener, um, who is compassionate. Uh, I just remember, like, it was like a new world. It was like a new world to me, and I did not want to run at all. And I also didn't want to be texting every day. It was moderate. It was, it was not, she's going to be my life or I'm going to be her life. It's, we both have lives carved out and we're kind of the ice cream on top of, of each other's lives. And, she, and, and I remember her texting me and saying like, like questioning that, why do you not text or call more? Mm. And she didn't understand. She thought it was because of a lack of interest. Because I think a lot of people, you know, you're texting each other five, you have sex and you're texting each other five times a day uh, until you settle into the relationship. And so it was like, in my mind, I, and I brought up the monogamy thing. I was like, I would like to be monogamous, which again, would never have imagined, you know, me seeking that out. It would have been, how long can I keep fucking other people, you know, until. I can't, but I had no, no interest because it emotionally was what I'd been looking for my whole life through one night stands through trying to be impressive professionally. I just, I just wanted to feel seen, but I kept trying to control the manner in which I was seen. And here I was letting her know, listen, I'm in a couple of support groups. Well, yeah. What did that, when was all this disclosed? That was probably in the, maybe the third or fourth date. She said, um, I'd shared, you know, I'm in these support groups. And she said, what do you talk about? And I said, well, do you want to hear my story about my childhood and kind of what my going off the rails looked like as an adult? And, and she said, I do. And I shared it with her and, um, and she was very compassionate and she didn't run. And I was, I suppose there was a part of me that was afraid that she might run, but also knew that if she run, ran, it was not meant to be. And that much better than her staying mm -hmm. and 
trying to change me. And she, the only thing, <laughs> parts of me that she has tried to change was that my wallet was uh, uh, a rubber band. <laughs> she bought me a wallet. And I think there might have been one other things where I was just kind of embarrassingly uh, to her. And I joke with her about it, but it didn't it didn't hurt my feelings. Um, God, rubber. <laughs> yes, she was. I would she never shared, have gone on another date with you. <laughs> she shared with me that that um, early on when I had shared with her about the stuff that had happened to me in my childhood. Um, was she was excited because she thought, oh, good, this guy needs me. You know, he's broken. He needs me. And she said, and then she slowly realized that she, I she did, thought that she thought that. And she oh, said okay. after we dated for a while, she realized, oh, no, he's taking care of himself just fine. He's got his support. He's doing the things he needs to do. He doesn't need me to change him or fix him. And she felt a little scared by that. So she had to face. Not have you guys ever done answer. a podcast together? We've not. She's a pretty shy person. I've thrown it out there, but um, I wouldn't, I would have to talk her into it. I don't really want to have somebody on that. I have to talk into, into coming on, but I talk about yeah, yeah. her on the podcast. Sometimes I worry that I talk That's about so interesting. It. Okay. So up until this point, I was just assuming that she was like a, I don't know, like a straight up normie secure attacher, but clearly not if that was pulling her in. Yeah. No, I mean, how healthy could she be if she chose me? I, I know. I get, I, I get it. There's a limit. There's a limit. You know, I may be in recovery, but there's still that ember of sickness that I think people can spot from across the room. I'd have it no other way too, right? You know, yeah, I'm not trying she, to be completely healed. <laughs> yeah. And, and she had some issues that, that I had to speak up about. She had some anger issues. Um, she would, she didn't have really a support network around her. And so she would unload her day to me and kind of in the codependent, I'm so annoyed at this person that I should have fired three years ago, but they're still doing the same thing. And I would have to kind of say, well, listen, if you're going to keep talking about this, I got to tell you what my opinion is, because uh, I'm starting to get drained by you complaining about the very thing that you're not doing anything about, which is you continue to employ this person. Um, and then you paint yourself as the the victim and it's hard to listen to. And also, I can't be your soul source of unloading board yeah yeah um and so she did start to go to some coda meetings i think she went for about a year and i kind of wish she would go back the the uh, pandemic kind of interrupted that but she did learn some 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 things um she's probably i'm assuming she's an adult child yeah yeah even though there wasn't alcoholism there was dysfunction yeah and, Wait, so when when did she t when she's had that like it scared her when she realized that you didn't need her when did she disclose that to you like it was like in the moment or like later no, on I, th I think it was about a year into our relationship that 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 she shared that um yeah we've had some really good heart heart to heart talks and one of the things that she did do um which i really respect her for was she dealt with her her anger because it started coming out in that first six months and it started increasing. And, um, and I said, this is, this is not sustainable. Um, this is going to, cause, cause I, I am feeling myself moving away, uh, when you're angry a lot. And it wasn't that she was angry at me. Was, she's frustrated by the world around her. And, um, and so she went and talked to a GP and she got on uh, an SSRI and it changed everything. Well, And so I, to me, that was a great sign of character that she was willing to do that. You know, a lot of people there, they just want to wish for things to get better, but they're not doing, willing to explore what possible solutions might be. And if you're truly a partner, you will explore those options, hopefully for yourself, but at the very least, so you can be a good partner, so that you're not a raging 
you know. Well, that yeah, that should be the requirement on anyone's like relationship or ideal partner list is their a willingness to work on their shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I didn't try to change her. I expressed it in terms of I'm feeling myself wanting to move away because it's intense and I'm getting drained, and it it just uh, it's. It's it's getting to be too much for me to take in, and I want you to know that so it doesn't you know come as a surprise. I I don't want to break up, but this is unsustainable. Do you think that that was the most difficult conversation that y'all have had? Yeah, probably, definitely up there, definitely up there. We've had some we've had some other ones that were kind of difficult that I'm just going to keep uh, private, but but we've worked through. All of them. All of them. And that is, I think, one of the reasons why it feels like a team is because we we did it together and we're always cognizant, if not in the moment afterwards, of uh, being respectful to each other because you can disagree and still be loving. Is there ever discussions about how like you realize after like being triggered you know, what it was pertaining to and like, like the childhood stuff, like how that stuff pops up. Yeah. And it's not so much, um, of, you know, this brings up that thing. It's more, um, it felt disrespectful. Um, it, it felt, uh, I don't know. I felt kind of rejected or, um, it was more kind of in terms of that. And it's not, as you know, it's important to express it not in terms of assassinating the person's character, but rather saying, here's how I felt, do with it what what you want. And then you kind of secretly hope that they're going to take it in. And um, if if not necessarily never do it again, do it less. You know, I don't expect perfection, but I, I expect an effort, a real effort to be made. And I, and I try to be that for her because... Uh, sometimes she would see my eyes kind of darting around the room while she was talking to me and, uh, she would be like, you're not really listening. And so I make a conscious effort, um, to keep, keep my focus. And it's not, it's not hard. It's just, I'm selfish. And sometimes I just go into, uh, she's not speaking fast enough. I got time to also think about my (laughs) I got plenty of time to dart my eyes around the room. Right. I can multitask, yeah. baby. I'm just multitasking. Yeah, so I we're we're both pretty good at owning our shit if we get called on it. But the fact that we do it in a way um that doesn't insult the other person mm. uh, it is makes it easier to to own our shit. And I learned that in support groups. That was not was not a technique I was familiar with. It was go on the attack verbally and win. That does not work out. (laughs) Is there something that, um, that still gets triggered for you? Cause I'm sure you've like worked through so much, but I, you know, I think one thing is I would love to see her get back into a support group, but that's her, that's her thing. Oh, the only thing I can do is, um, the only thing I have control over is expressing uh, how we interact with each other. You know, what she's doing to better herself or not better herself is up to her. Um, but how we interact and her behavior and how it makes me feel, um, that's the only thing. Because um, I don't want to get into trying to control somebody. But it's frustrating because there's a part of me that sometimes wants to be like, I think it's time you go back to your meetings but that's i know that's not a healthy thing for me to do or say so what have been some of your favorite podcasts recently mark Marin just came on and talked about the loss of his uh partner um two years so two or three years ago his his uh partner lynn shelton died suddenly and mark's kind of an old friend and I would, so i would love to have him on my podcast yeah he's uh he's spoke very very eloquently uh about it let's see who else 
me look. I've got a really interesting guest coming up in two weeks. Actually, uh, this Friday, a uh, Moby is uh is going to be uh, Moby. Yeah, you said a Moby, so I was like wondering yeah. if it was Moby or there's yes. somebody named a Moby that I don't. One know. of the two Mobies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, he's he's gonna uh, his episode is airing, and the week after that is an episode I really can't wait for people to hear. It's with a woman. Um, and she uses this pseudonym Eddie, and she was raised. She was born female Eddie. at birth, identifies as a woman was raised as a woman by her mother, but as a boy by her father who couldn't accept. Oh, yeah. Wait, ra- born as a girl, biologically born as a female. Um, essentially her dad, her dad wanted a boy and refused to accept that she was not a boy. There's a girl woman in my community who it's her with her dad. Her name's uh, Christy. And he mm-hmm. would he would call her Christopher, but I think only in the name. I mean, how much are we talking about like treating as a boy? Like a lot. Wow. A lot. Yes. Yeah. Um well, there's Booker. Who is it? No, she's a listener. Oh shit. That's out to crazy. Me. Yeah, some of my best guests have been uh Your listen- listeners. Yeah. yeah. You have a great show. Well, that wraps up today's episode. As always, I hope you heard something that could benefit you on your own journey. As always, I know you did. As always, if you didn't seek help immediately. Okay. (laughs) That was great. I do just want to give a shout out. He lost his big sponsor recently because he was making an ethical, moral decision, which is very um, noble and respectable. But uh, he, he has his Patreon. And so I signed up for that. So... If you're a listener of his, I just wanted to give a little plug to sign up for his Patreon. Um, okay. I don't really think I have anything interesting to say, except for I, I received a very nasty email this week. Maybe one day in the future, I'll share it. But it was, it was, um, <laughs> it didn't, it didn't even really like hurt or bother me. It was so ridiculous, right? <laughs> like sometimes the, the feedback I get will trigger me a bit or hit me. But then other times I just like get stuff that it's just, it's just so ridiculous that I just laugh at it. Um, but as always, if you ever have feedback or you ever want to send me nasty emails, my, my inbox is, is always open in my DMs. Um, all right, folks, I will see you next week for another fucking amazing episode of Adult Child. It's going to be super awesome. Super, super excited for you all to hear. It's going to be a goodie, I promise. <laughs>